This episode may be supported by advertising depending on your location. Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. Today, staff reporter Risa Takashi on Japan's green recovery. Risa Takashi, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It is September at the time of recording. So far, we've had Typhoon Haishen rip through Kyushu. Over a million people in southern Japan have been told to evacuate their homes as a powerful typhoon heads towards the country. We've seen wildfires along the whole west coast of America. Now to the wildfires raging in the west, which have killed at least 33 people with dozens of others missing and tens of thousands more forced to flee their homes in California, Oregon and Washington. China throughout August had some of the worst flooding in its history and there was a risk of the Three Gorges Dam collapsing. Located in China's central Hubei province, the Three Gorges Dam was designed in part to protect the tens of millions living close to the Yangtze, Asia's longest river, from devastating flooding. And climate change makes all of these events more likely going forward. So it feels really like climate change should be pretty near the top of the agenda right now, but how has coronavirus affected the discussion around climate change over the recent months? Yeah, it's not a pretty picture. And like with all things unrelated to the pandemic, a lot of important issues over the last nine months, give or take a few months, has been pushed back from the front pages, not just in Japan, but around the world. Um, And part of that is obviously understandable. We're seeing an unprecedented global pandemic. But the climate crisis, um, I One of the activists I've interviewed multiple times said it really well. The global coronavirus pandemic is a crisis, but climate change was the original crisis Mm. that has been ongoing for decades and will outlast the coronavirus pandemic. It's interesting you say that because that is how a lot of the discussion about climate change is being framed in regards to coronavirus. We look at the impacts of the coronavirus and in many ways it just seems to be foreshadowing what could be the much worse impacts of climate change and how we're going to have to adapt and deal with those as the world warms. You know, at the beginning of August, for example, Bill Gates wrote an article titled Coronavirus is Awful, but climate change could be much worse. Right, and there's a lot of talk about the importance of listening to scientists during a pandemic, which I think climatologists and environmental activists might see a bit of irony in. But yeah, I mean, like, what's your impression about the the level of coverage that climate change has had in Japan over the last maybe half year or so? Well, just looking at our own paper, we started the year with several long feature articles looking at the climate crisis and how it was affecting Japan. And I think there was a lot of ambition to continue that series throughout 2020. You know, we had the podcast all about Iki Island, the first place to declare a climate emergency in Japan. We discussed Nagano becoming the first prefecture to declare a climate emergency. But all that seems to have been swept under the rug by the immediacy and urgency of the coronavirus. And I guess when you look around the world as well, we've seen much the same. You know, COP26, the year's main climate conference, has been postponed to 2021. And so it does feel like in all sorts of venues and different forums around the world, climate change has just been forgotten about. Yeah, I think the way you put it was really nice, which you said the conversation and discussion about climate change was swept under the rug. And I think that pretty much sums it up. That being said, though, one of the things that has emerged out of the devastation caused by the coronavirus is the idea of a green recovery as a means to get countries back on track. And you explored this recently in relation to Japan in in an article for the Japan Times. 
So what does the idea of a green recovery mean to you? Well, it's sort of a tricky, nuanced idea, but governments around the world have poured massive amounts of money into their economies, not just to stop the bleeding, but to create a foundation for a recovery, an economic recovery after the pandemic has subsided. And that's the case in Japan as well. Uh, the central government has been offering cash handouts, uh, subsidies, zero interest loans since April in multiple different waves of supplementary budgets to the fiscal budget. And where does the idea of a green recovery fit into this? Well, that's sort of the tricky part. Um, a lot of different metaphors are used to conceptualize what a green recovery is, but it's the notion that in pouring money into the economy to help it revive, therein lies an opportunity, not just to create a sustainable economy or one that can, I don't know, survive a hit like this in another 10 to 20 years when the next infectious disease breaks out, but to shift tracks, uh, as it were, to a more environmentally friendly economy uh, with heavier investment in green infrastructure, uh, renewable energy, and to transition away from fossil fuels. Japan is one of the biggest carbon emitters on the planet. And I mean, you know this as well, but at COP25 last year, they were awarded the Fossil of the Day Award. And I mean, they've got a self, self-proclaimed coal addiction. And so in a country like that, the notion of a green recovery might seem like a lofty idea, but maybe that's what makes it all the more necessary. We'll be back after this. This episode of Deep Dive is brought to you by our kind sponsors, Democrats Abroad. Democrats Abroad is a volunteer organisation that helps Americans overseas register to vote. And in case you haven't heard, the mail is pretty slow lately. Absentee ballots will go out September 19th, and if you haven't requested your ballot yet for the November election, you should do that right now. Democrats Abroad has a simple website to generate the form to request your ballot from overseas, regardless of your political party. Just go to votefromabroad.org, generate the form, print it, sign it, and send it off to your local election official. It's really as simple as that. Generate the application, print it, sign it, and send it, and you'll have requested your ballot. VoteFromAbroad.org makes the ballot request process simple and easy. So if you need to vote from overseas, just go to VoteFromAbroad.org. That link will be in the show notes. Thank you. I suppose to me the idea of a green recovery is all about trying to kill two birds with one stone. We've got a huge problem at the moment with vast unemployment around the world due to the pandemic, and many economies do need to reset with large stimulus injections from their governments. So while we do that, why not also use those stimulus packages to reimagine each and every country in a much lower carbon form than they were before, and really tackle the heart of the problem of climate change? And this idea of a green recovery is not just a make-believe idea anymore either. President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, set out a huge ambitious green recovery package for the European Union in the spring. As we now plan to slowly go back to work and to invest billions of euros to restart our economy, we should avoid falling back in old, polluting habits. Instead, we should bounce back better from this pandemic. So perhaps you can tell us about that. Right. In May, the European Union proposed a 750 billion euro recovery package, uh, 25 to 30% of which is earmarked for what 
could be described as as green initiatives. 91 billion would go towards improving home energy efficiency and green heating every year. Uh, 25 billion would go towards renewable energy, 20 billion towards clean cars over the next two years, and another 60 billion will go towards zero emission trains and the production of roughly 1 million tons of clean hydrogen. So the European Union has passed this ambitious recovery package, but they're not alone in their thinking. When we look to the US, we've also got a very ambitious plan being proposed by presidential hopeful Joe Biden, who's announced a $2 trillion plan to try and achieve carbon-free power in the US by 2035, and in doing so, create millions of jobs in the process. These investments are a win-win-win for this country creating jobs, cutting energy costs, protecting our climate. Obviously, whether or not this will happen will very much be determined by the election result. And if Trump wins, it's likely to fall by the wayside. But it does show that the idea of a green recovery is gaining some traction. Climate change is very much a global issue, though, and it requires action by all of the world's largest emitters of CO2 to, to really tackle it. So let's turn the lens to Japan now, because Japan in 2018 was the world's fifth largest emitter. So perhaps you can remind us, what plans does Japan have to tackle its emissions going forward? So I guess first, I think some background would be helpful. In 2015, the Paris Agreement brought together UN member nations in creating what are called Nationally Determined Contributions, or NDCs, which is sort of like a promise to reduce carbon emissions by a certain date. The Paris Agreement calls for a 45% reduction in carbon emissions by 2030 and net zero carbon emissions by 2050 in order to avoid a global warming of 2 degrees Celsius. And how does Japan's targets compare to these? Japan's NDC is relatively low. At the last UN Climate Summit in 2019, the country promised to reduce carbon emissions by 26% compared to 2013 levels by 2030. Not only is that low compared to other G7 nations in the Paris Agreement, uh, it falls far short of the agreement itself, which calls for a 45% reduction by 2030. And where 2020 was supposed to be what experts call the the last year, quote-unquote, to seriously reassess NDCs and carbon emission reduction goals, Uh, to sort of kickstart the momentum necessary to satisfy the Paris Agreement, uh, Japan sort of quietly announced that it wouldn't raise its NDC at all, and it would keep it at 26%. Despite this lack of a more ambitious emissions target, there were several announcements by the government over the summer in regards to climate change issues. Did these indicate progress to you? It depends on what kind of progress you're talking about and how you measure that progress. In July, the government made a number of announcements that, at face value, looked like great progress. The first big announcement was the deactivation of more than 100 low-efficiency domestic coal-fired power plants. The second was the trade ministry's decision to stop supporting, in principle, the export of coal-fired power abroad. And the third announcement was the requirement for convenience stores, grocery stores, and a number of other retail businesses to start charging consumers for plastic bags. But when I asked experts about these things, uh, they pointed out several loopholes in all three of those announcements. For example, with the announcement that the government would terminate 
more than 100 low-efficiency coal-fired power plants. Uh, experts pointed out that there are 22 power plants under construction across 17 different sites in Japan. And I read in our own newspaper's analysis of the effects of these power plant shutdowns, that because they're only planning to shut down some of the smaller power plants, even though they are the less efficient coal power plants, that because many of the bigger ones, the more efficient ones will remain active, the the reduction in emissions will actually be fairly low. Right. And it's part of it seems a little nefarious to me because a number of the power plants were already slated for deactivation before they made the announcement. Not only that, the trade ministry announced that it would no longer support the export of coal-fired power, but in Vietnam, there's a, there's a coal-fired power plant called Vun Ang 2. I'm not pronouncing that right. But that power plant is mostly funded by Japanese private sector companies. Environment Minister Koizumi has made remarks about it, but I would not describe those as, as critical. And with the government requiring retail stores to charge for plastic bags... It's worth pointing out that not only do the bags cost three to five yen now, uh, which most public polls show that people believe is a negligible amount that they're willing to pay. Uh, not only that, plastic bags only account for an estimated 2% of the 9 million tons of plastic that Japan produces every year. I don't know, like, what are your thoughts on that, just hearing it? Because personally, I was, like, really encouraged. I was like, they're shutting down 100 power plants? That's huge, like... When did they become concerned with the climate and then and then not exporting coal-fired power? That's a huge improvement. Charging for plastic bags, that's a great thing. But when I talk to experts, they just immediately douse those hopes. Yeah, I think as you put it, like it's kind of face value good news. But I think when you put it in the broader context of Japan's general strategy towards climate change and its low targets for emissions reductions by 2030 then it feels less consequential. I think it's a step in the right direction, but it's definitely not a step far enough in the right direction. Yeah, um, it's not getting at the root of the problem. Exactly. And, and considering how much or how vulnerable Japan is to climate change, we've seen it with the recent typhoon to hit Japan. We saw it last year with uh, Typhoon Hagabis that ripped through the majority of Japan and caused billions of dollars worth of damage here it does feel like they need to be acting faster. You know, tying it back to the idea of a green recovery, Japan in May launched one of the world's most ambitious stimulus packages, promising 1.1 trillion yen in spending in an attempt to fight the coronavirus. But from what I can tell and and from research I've read by Japan's Renewable Energy Institute, none of this is being used to try and green Japan's economy. So has there been any concrete steps towards a green recovery in Japan? Well, earlier this month, Environment Minister Shinjiro Koizumi started what is called the Green Recovery Platform, which is an effort to boost international cooperation and responding to the climate change um, on top of the coronavirus pandemic. And I think it's an encouraging thing. Um, despite criticism of Japan's quote-unquote coal addiction and, and all the flack the country got at COP25, Koizumi was praised for acting as sort of a, a mediator, sort of a keystone to all the, the discussions had at the UN summit last year. Uh, he was praised by 
the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres. On the other hand, um, while it is encouraging to see Koizumi trying to work with other countries to, for example, raise carbon emission reduction goals, I think experts would say that he needs to walk the walk before he talks the talk. Most of the other UN member nations have higher NDCs than Japan. So I think while it is good to foster bilateral conversations, I think there may be some who believe the country needs to raise its own goals first. Are people calling for it within Japan, putting pressure on the government for a green recovery? Yes. I speak to climate scientists and climatologists and activists and researchers, a lot of MPOs and NGOs as well. And when I'm speaking to all these people to write my stories, it's obvious that a green recovery is on the front of their minds. And when you talk to them, what's your impression of what a green recovery could look like for Japan? Well, Japan has poured massive amounts of money into the economy, and it's going to continue to do so even after the pandemic subsides. Japan has an opportunity to invest in green technology and infrastructure, uh, not least of which is wind and solar power, retrofitting energy-efficient homes and office buildings, electric vehicles, improving transportation, roads, and other facets of public infrastructure, and Maybe the biggest one, uh, urging the private sector being bailed out by taxpayer money to divest from fossil fuels. I guess in the end, green recovery is, is an opportunity to move forward in a direction that, that might make achieving the Paris Agreement possible. When we look at green recovery packages from the EU or the one proposed by Joe Biden in the United States. A lot of that focuses very heavily on transforming the energy sector from one that is dominated by fossil fuels to one that relies much more heavily on renewable energies such as solar, such as wind. So what, what are the biggest obstacles to implementing transformative climate policy when it comes to the energy sector in Japan? So in Japan, there are two gatekeepers to climate policy. The first is the relationship between the Ministry of the Environment and the Ministry of Economy, Trade and Industry. The country's energy portfolio is determined by the trade ministry, the latter. Uh, but the former is responsible for the country's climate policy. But the tricky thing is that the, the energy portfolio precedes climate policy. So... No matter how ambitious a plan the environment ministry might put forward, it all comes down to whether the trade ministry reflects that in its energy portfolio. The environment ministry held its first working group on September 1st to revisit its global warming countermeasures plan. The law stipulates that it must do so every three years. But the trade ministry will not revisit its strategic energy plan until June 2021, at the latest. So this means that even if the Ministry of Environment were to turn around tomorrow and say we're going to shift Japan's energy to 100% solar by 2030, the Ministry of Trade. Would shoot it down in a second. They have the last word when it comes to the country's energy mix. And in its current iteration of the Trade Ministry's plan, the government is going to aim to create an energy mix by 2030, of which 30% is coal-fired power, 20 to 22% is nuclear, and 22 to 24 is renewable. Which I guess is pretty unambitious considering Japan is already at about 18% renewable energy. Right. And while the slice of renewable energy has gone up since the last plan, 
the experts I spoke to said there's much more room for possibility, um, not just in renewable energy, um, but in a reduction in coal-fired power and nuclear energy as well. In August, the Renewable Energy Institute put forward an alternative plan, um, one in which 45% is renewable, carbon dioxide emissions are halved, and the country takes a huge step towards honoring the Paris Agreement. You said there were two gatekeepers or maybe obstacles to putting Japan onto a more climate-friendly track when it comes to where and how it's producing its energy. If the first is the dependency of the Ministry of Environment on the Ministry of Trade, what's the second obstacle? The country's electricity grid. Currently, the country's electricity grid is dominated by regional energy providers. Two of the biggest ones are Tokyo Electric Power Company, TEPCO, and Kansai Electric Power Company, KEPCO. And what's the problem here? Is it that the dominance of these large companies is preventing newer companies or renewable energy companies from coming onto the grid? Right. The thing is, a a big energy provider has obviously much more money, and they have better access to cheap energy that is often produced through coal-fired power. And what reports are finding is that small or new energy providers were often blocked, pushed out, or undermined by bigger companies. But things are starting to change. In 2000, a new law took effect that began allowing smaller players to sort of make their own space in the country's power grid. 20 years ago, when the law took effect, uh, special high-capacity structures like factories, office buildings, and department stores were allowed to choose their energy providers. In 2004, mid-sized buildings and factories were allowed to do so, and Small businesses and individual households joined that list in 2016. And the experts I spoke to said that the number of households um, shifting away from, say, TEPCO, KEPCO, and other big energy providers has been growing. Which I guess gives more opportunity for renewable energy providers. But it isn't all about energy production, though. You mentioned when, when you were talking about what a green recovery could look like for Japan, that policies that could be pursued would be stuff like retrofitting homes so they became more energy efficient and normalizing the use of electric vehicles in the country. Are any of those kind of ideas tracking in Japan right now? Um, I mean, last year we talked about the Zero Emission Tokyo plan and part of that plan was a long list of ambitious efforts to do exactly what we're talking about now, which is invest in electric vehicles to reform public transportation, create energy-efficient homes and buildings. But all of that was uprooted by the pandemic. What I do find encouraging, and what I've heard from experts as well, is a growing interest in the private sector in Japan. We spoke earlier about RE100, which is a worldwide initiative among private companies to sort of mirror the goals of the Paris Agreement, shifting away from fossil fuels towards renewable energy As of this month, 38 Japanese companies are on board with that program. So while it might be hard to find signs of progress in the government's policy, a lot of experts I speak to are encouraged by the growing interest, not just in the private sector, um, but among people as well. And these are major companies, right? Not just 38 small or medium-sized businesses. Yeah, they're pretty big players. Um, uh, and many of the 38 companies are part of Keidan, the Japanese Business Federation, which is one of the biggest, if not biggest, players in the economy here. I want to try and wrap this up. So after everything we've heard today, 
with little in the way of stimulus being tied to green initiatives so far, with Japan's lower emission targets still hobbling any great leap forward towards a low-carbon economy. Is it fair to say that Japan has little to no commitment to a green recovery at this point? I don't like that question, because it depends on which part of the country you're talking about, whether it's the government, the private sector, or the people. Most experts agree that the, the degree of concern for climate change is increasing in the private sector. You can see public polls uh, that show the, the level of concern among Japanese people isn't low. I speak to activists almost every day who are just desperate to have another march, but they also don't want to show up on the front page for being part of a cluster infection and instead of leading a, a climate change march. So public demonstration, marches, things like that are all are all in a lull right now. At the end of the day, the government is in charge of the country's climate policy. Um, it has jurisdiction over its energy portfolio. And in that regard, despite the announcements we saw in July, I think most experts would agree that the country isn't moving forward fast enough. I think it's an understatement to call a green recovery the opportunity of a lifetime because it's so much more than that. It could determine how carbon emissions are produced, not only over the next decade, but over the next three decades, and the trajectory of global warming over the next 80 years. Rise, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That was Ryusei Takahashi and his article on Japan's green recovery can be found on the Japan Times website. A link will be in the show notes. Now, since our double episode special on the resignation of Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, the country's ruling Liberal Democratic Party has chosen former Chief Cabinet Secretary Yoshihide Suga to become its new leader and the next Prime Minister of Japan. Suga picked his new cabinet of 20 ministers this afternoon with Environment Minister Shinjiro Koizumi staying in his post. That's it for Deep Dive this week. Thank you as always for listening. And thanks to all of you who've taken the time to recently leave a review of the show. Feedback is always appreciated, whatever form it takes. You can contact me directly at omhboyd on Twitter or email the show by contacting deepdive at japantimes.co.jp. Until next time, as always. Potskarisama. sama.